When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. It's a marshmallow world in the winter. Cheers, lads. When the snow comes to cover the ground. Okay, so enjoy your morning. Okay, let's go. John and Joe Shelby, the king of the golf. The king of the golf course. And those are marshmallow Pleasure ourselves. Psychologists. Shake, Hogan. Argentina. Seasons greetings everybody We're coming at you live from the Toasty Irish Times Second Captain's Christmas Cabin Oh and we're from Ken all here Hey guys oh, yeah. Birds a cold one outside That's what's oh, the roaring fire going Still so if it wasn't here. for the The warm festive glow That has enveloped me Over the last couple of days I don't think I'd be able to Handle these Fearsomely cold conditions we most certainly are here in the cabin, podcasting away on St. Stephen's Day. I haven't seen my family in weeks. Oh, I mean, there's no way we recorded the show in a normal studio just before Christmas and added the sound Shut effects up, in Bond. afterwards. I mean, I'm even insulted. you mentioned such a thing. Ken, you're looking very Christmassy there. You're dressed as a giant Christmas cracker, which is I've never seen it before. Quite uncomfortable, Owen. A bit waspish around the waist, uh, but I, I think I'm managing. And Murph, uh, as a to- toasted marshmallow, I see. Well... Listen, just a little something I threw together, oh, not a big deal. And marshmallows Christmassy, it's mentioned in that song, but... Yeah. I mean, do you, have, have you ever had a marshmallow at Christmas? Actually, no, now that you mention it. I've made a major blunder with my wardrobe choice. What was I thinking? <laughs> Toasted marshmallows, I mean, that's just stupid. What did you get up to yesterday, Ken? Would you say? <laughs> uh, retrospectively. What did you... Uh, uh, what, what sort of TV shows go on around the early household um, Christmas time? I don't know. I don't think we... Uh, I mean, I used to watch TV when I was younger. I don't really do that yeah, much. Yeah, it doesn't really go on. Coronation Street, when it, back when I used to go to my grand's house, Coronation Street, there was the, the, the Queen's Address, yeah, which we course, watched for yeah. some reason, and, the, and Coronation Street, they were the two, the two things, but no, not much anymore. Uh, social activities, you know, uh, eating, uh, little parlour games. Pictionary, that kind of stuff. That kind of stuff, and uh, massive um, uh, alcohol consumption Is usually it? rounds out the picture. Yeah, responsible, of course. 
responsibly responsible alcohol consumption and everybody is, is sitting around eventually everybody gets tired and goes to sleep you, but not often on the couch. you didn't play parlor parlor games yesterday did you? And actually that does happen from time to time I mean if you've got enough people in the room yeah what are you going to do you know yeah I suppose I mean you know actual conversation runs out pretty fast I do yeah. find those games can take the fun out of it though particularly if one person's very good yeah we had a game one or year or if one person let's say own there takes it extremely seriously. Well, that, that's that not necessarily bad, though. Yeah. If, if a couple of people get very competitive, that, well, I mean, there that is, there makes is a, it more enjoyable. No, I just get embarrassingly competitive playing five-a-side football, Murph. Not, not so much parlor games. I can I can win or lose a game of Trivial Pursuit with equal grace, Yeah, to yeah. be honest with you. Mm, okay, fair enough. But no, the, the, I remember one Christmas a few years back, my cousin um, got, as a present, he got some sort of a game where you sort of a name that tune kind of thing, right? So you yeah. played the first five seconds of a song, uh, generally, generally pop songs that seem from the 80s and 90s and you have to name the tune. Okay, very, very straightforward premise. That seems like fun. Yeah. Everyone will have a go. Unfortunately, my cousin is a DJ in 98 FM uh-huh. and knows every song, that, particularly in the 80s, but probably every, every song that was written from about 1982 on. So he's just crushing the rest of us and mm. squeezing the life out of our Christmas day with, with great relish. Literally didn't get one wrong. That doesn't sound, that doesn't sound fun at all. That's what actually. I'm saying. This, this yeah. is my point. Yeah, he was yeah. too good. Okay, well, there's a, there's a, basically a level of ignorant of pig ignorance that you need to to achieve here. That's going to make Christmas pass <laughs> off without without incident. Mm. Okay, fair enough. That's well, that's a lesson for next year, I suppose. You know, this year has already happened, so we must move on and uh, learn our lessons for 364 Listen, days from now. We know why you're here. You've been around the family a little too long this week. Your mum is starting to just get on your nerves a small bit, and the novelty of your baby nephew. It's wearing off, right? Oh. He's he's cute when he cries. Give him about it, 15 minutes. Yeah, he's, sorry, maybe I'm just projecting there. <laughs> yeah, he's cute when he laughs, but I mean, the kids just crying pretty much, pretty much solid here this Christmas. It's actually ruined the entire thing. So this is obviously a really bad sad, day. Sad little child. It's a really, it's a really bad day for him, right? This isn't like this isn't what he's like every day, right? So that that can't now. be. You're here now with the second captain's family, and we've got two superstars of 2014 for you today. One of the brightest young managers in Irish sport, Eamon Fitzmaurice, who's going to share his reflections on winning the All Ireland, and a broadcasting superstar, US Murph, who very shortly will take us through the American sporting year. But Murph, big up Eamon Morris. Eamon Morris, big up Eamon Morris and out of fits to the start of his surname, please. Yeah, well, when you consider where he was this time last year, had run Dublin pretty close in an All-Ireland semi-final, then hit by a raft of retirements. Uh, February, Colin Cooper, the best player of his generation, goes down with a cruciate knee ligament injury. Um, and people were just, right, this is it for Kerry. You know, like we'll see you in five years, Kingdom. Um, uh, you guys are toast. Uh, and uh, he manages to pull out of nowhere well, the, they're saying and carry the most satisfying All Ireland final victory since 1975, which is 40 years ago. So, I mean, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty extraordinary thing that he's done. Uh, uh, the manner of the win in the All Ireland final wasn't exactly the most uh, swashbuckling that uh, Kerry have ever treated us to, but yeah, and absolutely brilliant. I mean, when you consider what Jim McGuinness had done to Dublin, Fitzmaurice then actually outthought him in the final, which is about as high a praise as you can give a GA coach, I think. Good enough for me. We'll talk to Eamon a little bit later on. Let's kick it off, though, by looking back at the American sporting year with US Murph. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called! Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. Oh, 
Ryan Murphy, happy Christmas. Happy Christmas, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Uh, these days, anymore, if you say Merry Christmas over here, they shoot you. The PC police will shoot you, you with a stun gun. You can't say Merry Christmas anymore? You can at your own risk. <laughs> I mean, I, I've sort of like, I've sort of decided that even though I'm not an overtly Christian man, I'm, you know, and not to get too into the uh, the birth of the baby Jesus and all that, but uh, we, you know, the Murphy family, lapsed Catholics and all, just kind of celebrate Christmas as a winter holiday more than anything, but... I've almost taken a one-man stand against the disappearance of Merry Christmas in America. I'm bringing it back, and you should see how uncomfortable people get when I say it to them. I say, Merry Christmas, and then they get this kind of stunned look on their face, and then they say, um, Happy Holidays. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> you, sound like, uh, you sound like Bill Riley, uh, uh, Bride. What the hell's going on? I mean, do, do, I know, don't Fox News have a that's, war that's on Christmas? Kind of... I've turned into a caveman. No, it's it's uh, it's just kind of funny how how silly everybody's gotten about it. So uh, uh, it's just kind of messing with people, giving them a little wet willy. But uh, yeah, so Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Pagan, you know, Winter Light Festival, all that stuff, guys. There was a, I think it was a South Park episode where they. We're doing a nativity play, but they had to take away any references to Christianity, and then they had to take away references that to include some, you know, every other religion in there. And it turned out to be a bit of a mess, Brian. I'm going to say so. Happy Christmas, anyway. Huge year for. Well, uh, there's a couple of things I want to talk about today. We want to look back at a few of the key storylines from the major American sports, and we'll start with the NBA. I know we talk more NFL, but two of the biggest names in the history of the sport are still playing, and there's a lot of years left for. Uh, for LeBron and Kobe still going as well. Quite recently, he surpassed Michael Jordan on the scoring list. Uh, he's now into third place overall, all-time scorers in the league, which seems like a fairly a fairly staggering achievement for the great Kobe Bryant. It was a good. Um, it was a good reminder, actually, when it happened. It happened uneventfully on a Sunday night when he made a free throw. Actually, it wasn't any kind of game-winning shot uh, as the Lakers, you know, soared to the top of the NBA. I mean, the Lakers are having an awful year. They're mired near the bottom of the Western Conference. It's a stunning sight for anybody who's, you know, ever followed basketball for the last almost 50 years. The Lakers have essentially been bulletproof for 50, 60 years, going back to their Minneapolis days with George Mike. And so, uh, so for them to, for Kobe to pass Michael Jordan uh, in such a low profile manner was kind of surprising. And, and it, it was a good reminder and a chance to kind of evaluate his career because you think, wow, guy scored more points than Michael Jordan now does that mean you know I should be reevaluating Kobe and as relative to Michael Jordan and I think the answers come back resoundingly uh, no you shouldn't be uh, reevaluating Kobe Kobe is Kobe and he's outstanding and he's one of the you know 20 we could sit here and argue one of the 20 greatest players of all time maybe you know some might say 10 some might say 20 some might say 30 but Michael Jordan remains supreme. It was driven home by a comment from Reggie Miller, the great Indiana Pacers player, who went on a national radio show, Dan Patrick show, and said, said Michael Jordan on his worst day is ten times better than Kobe Bryant on his best day. So <laughs> there's, there's a little perspective for you. Uh, and, and, you know, you look at some of the stats, guys, and it bears out. I mean, Kobe has played 200 more games than Michael Jordan's career. So you think this is more of sort of a longevity record than anything else. If you look at their average points per game, Jordan averaged 30 points per game. Kobe averaged 25 points per game. So, I mean, a marked difference in all those things. Of course, the titles, six titles for Jordan, five for Kobe. This is not meant to diminish Kobe Bryant. I mean, it's kind of unfortunate that he does this, and then I wind up slagging him here on the air. But but the fact is, is that, you know, while he did pass Jordan, 
Uh, he, he's still not better than Jordan, but it is a neat accomplishment. Two to go. Uh, Carl Malone and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Oh, the, the male man himself is number one. That's amazing. It's kind of funny to think that, yeah, we were talking about this on the air because I put that number out there. Two, so does anybody know who the second highest scorer of all time is? And and when the word came that it was Carl Malone, people were stunned. So it's just another example of a guy who played a long time, took care of his body, was quite healthy, and won zero titles, by the way. So interesting times for Kobe. Brian Reggie Miller, you mentioned his comment there. I have it in front of me. Michael Jordan on his worst day is 10 times better than Kobe Bryant's on his best day. I read that thinking, you know, I'm trying to put myself in Michael Jordan's shoes as he listened to that Dan Patrick show. And I'd say Jordan was thinking, only 10 times better? <laughs> You're probably right about that. He probably got pissed off about it somehow, someway, and wants a piece of Reggie Miller all over again. Yeah, what a competitive guy. Now, there's another example, though, of a guy who's post- playing career, you know, these guys, you just can't recreate the magic. He has tried to create a winner with the Charlotte franchise there, uh, the Charlotte Bobcats, the Charlotte Hornets turned Bobcats turned Hornets again. Yeah, they've changed their name now twice back to the Hornets, and he just can't build a winner there. He just can't do it despite his best efforts. You know, that's his home state, North Carolina, that's where he went to college, where he grew up. So his big dream is to become, you know, the next great executive, the next great uh, you know, the next great Titan like uh, Phil Jackson or uh, you know, Red Auerbach or something like that. He's not even close. The, the Charlotte's awful. So um, he's, he, he's probably excited to be mentioned again, you know, excited to get his juices going again. Knowing him, he probably wants to lace up the sneakers and go play tonight, you know. But uh, he's going to have to be content with Reggie's compliment. Yeah, big back and forth between uh, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant for the next six months as they uh, hopscotch back and forth uh, between third and fourth in the scorer's list. But LeBron uh, obviously made his move back to Cleveland. How has it been working out for him? Well, that's a good question because it's been sort of eh, if that's a word. Sort of okay. Sort of blah. Blah is not the right word. Um, It's been a little underwhelming. But it is yet to be written, guys. He, what happened was is that we learned early on that, that the Cleveland Cavaliers team wasn't nearly as, and we kind of knew this intellectually, but to see it actually play out on the court is different. They're not ready right now to take that next leap. And LeBron told us that when he signed, you know, hey, I'm going to try to build this team up. I'm going to try to teach these guys how to win. Kyrie Irving, the young star guard that he's going to mentor. You know, Kevin Love coming over in the big trade. That's the big three now. Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love, and LeBron James. Brand-new coach that nobody knew anything about, a guy who had coached all these years in Israel, uh, an American guy who had spent time coaching in Israel named David Blatt, well-regarded technician but had never coached, uh, been a head coach in the NBA. So there were a number of question marks coming into the season, but we're so used to LeBron being on the best team in the league that it was startling to see them stumble, and they did stumble out of the gate, and they hadn't figured it out. Now, they did recently put it together, and they ripped off, I think, seven or eight games in a row. I think they've lost a couple since. But uh, as they head into kind of the new year, they're getting better. But right now, guys, they're actually in the middle of the Eastern Conference when it comes to the playoff race. Now, the Eastern Conference is very bunched up, and Toronto as the number one team in the Eastern Conference is, you know, while they're a good team, they're gettable. So this could be a totally different story if we talk in March and you ask me how's LeBron going, or April, or especially when we get to May, when it's playoff time, because the Eastern Conference is widely regarded as quite inferior to the Western Conference. The Western Conference in the NBA this year is a jungle. I mean a jungle, where the Oklahoma City Thunder, with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, some would say title contenders, spend most of November and December 
on the outside of the playoff bubble because of injuries. So the Western Conference is just crazy. My beloved Golden State Warriors have been fantastic, the Memphis Grizzlies, the San Antonio Spurs, the defending champs. But the East is so parity-driven and so wide open that I think what LeBron and the Cavs have on their side is time. And I think that, like I said, when we talk again in two months, I wouldn't be surprised to see if they've soared to the top of the Eastern Conference. But for the most part, to kind of answer your, the start of your question, it's been a little underwhelming uh, so far in terms of smashing results. Yeah, something that wasn't underwhelming for you, Brian, was the, the baseball this year. Third World Series in five years for the dominant team of the era, the San Francisco Giants. Uh, strange as that might have seemed a few years back. I'm interested just in the context of baseball's dwindling popularity compared to the NFL. I mean, compared to where it was, say, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, even maybe more recently than that. Has that is that somewhat different in the Bay Area, given that it's the it's the, the your baseball team there who've been giving you all the real glory? Uh, has has it has that helped it maintain its popularity, whereas it might have waned elsewhere? That's a great question, and and I hate I love the fact that you just take that knife out, use that phrase dwindling popularity, and just shove it into my gut right there. <laughs> just ah, take that, take that, you old man, you old white man. Uh, watching you you still watch and- you still watch baseball, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Still popping in Field of Dreams and, DV- and the Natural on the DVR and weeping in front of the uh, as the father plays catch with the son. Yeah, uh, well, you know it's a good question. And what the word now that has been associated with baseball is regionalization. That is the now the word. And, and you talk about the nationalization of the NFL and how it's just become our proxy religion. Really, is what it's become. Four nights a week now, you know, and uh, Sunday, Monday, Thursday, and now even on Saturday in the holiday season. Um, and it's become just an obsession, and the ratings are ridiculous, and, you know, it's the, the opiate of the masses, as it were. But baseball's regional popularity remains quite robust, and that's the story on baseball now, is that it's become a sport where if you're in Los Angeles, you know the Dodgers, and you follow the Dodgers, and you watch the Dodgers on your TV. And if you're in San Francisco, you know your Giants, and you love your Giants, and you watch the Giants on TV. And if you're in Boston, same thing with the Red Sox. If you're in New York, same thing with the Yankees. Heck, even uh, smaller markets like uh, the Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh market, which has forever been a Steelers and Penguins market. The Pirates were recently successful the last couple of years, and the, the, play, the city went nuts, and the TV ratings went nuts. So uh, the answer is is that they're actually – it's kind of a funny answer in that in some ways baseball's never been stronger. These local KB, cable TV deals have produced – cable TV is looking for programming – and they know baseball provides 162 games of live programming a year, so they have created these huge contracts that they're giving to the, to the teams, and the teams are now flush with cash. And one of the stories of the 2014 season in America is that the off-season, what they call the hot stove league, that's the old-fashioned phrase for the off-season in baseball, is, is ridiculously awash in cash. Guys are getting so much money, way more than they get in basketball and football, which, of course, have salary caps. But a guy named John Lester, I don't even know how familiar the Irish audience would be with a guy named John Lester, who won a world, two World Series with the Red Sox, but he's not a superstar. He just got a six-year, $155 U.S. million contract from the Chicago Cubs. It's Money like that is being chucked around. It's crazy how, much, how rich baseball is and how regionally flush with cash these guys are. And then one last little postscript to that answer, guys, is that we baseball fans got a huge boost in our ego when Sports Illustrated, the venerable magazine, uh, named as their Sportsman of the Year, which was, has always been an exalted award and creates a lot of water cooler chat in, in America, they named 
Giants pitcher Madison Bumgarner, their Sportsman of the Year, which was a huge boon for baseball and San Francisco. We were quite proud, and it's actually a great choice because what he did in October was one of the most historic things in American sports. So it was it was a neat choice, and it was a brilliant story by Tom Verducci. In my always um, seeking out links for you guys, you guys should read Tom Verducci's uh, Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year story on Madison Bumgarner for a great American tale. So a little bit of hop in our step, guys. We're not dead yet. Uh, Brian, yeah, I, I actually I didn't read the full article, but I did read uh, an excerpt from it, which suggested, correct me if I'm wrong, that Madison, Bu- Madison Bumgarner once went out with a girl called Madison Bumgarner. Is that true? <laughs> That's a true story. <laughs> so this, uh, he, he grew up in this area of North Carolina where a ton of Germans named Bumgarner emigrated in the 1780s and 1810s and all that. So the town, the, the region he's from in the western part of North Carolina and the, the foothills of the, of the Blue Ridge Mountains is, is flush with Bumgarners. And they say if you go to the cemetery, all you see are Bumgarners. And uh, and that he's it actually called in the old in the 30s 40s it was called Bumtown because there were so many Bumgarners so the odds were that you were going to be dating a Bumgarner it so happened that he was named Madison by his parents shortly before they found out that Madison is an incredibly popular girl's name now um, and so he's sort of the last male Madison so now when you see the name Madison it's usually <laughs> a, a female so hence put the two and two together he winds up dating a girl named Madison Bumgarner. <laughs> I thought you were going to reference the other uh, anecdote from that story to add to his Paul Bunyan sort of American woodsman legend is that he and his wife, who ranched together, were out roping uh, cattle one day when a, they came upon a rattlesnake, and he, he killed it with an axe, only to find that there were two baby jackrabbits inside the rattlesnake oh. when he chopped the snake in half. And being the woodsman that he is, he reached into the snake and, and nursed. They saw that one of the jackrabbits was twitching, he pulled it out of the snake's innards, brought it home, and nursed it back to health and released it in the wild. Ah, oh, what a man. This is amazing. Sports, sportsman of the millennium. This is ridiculous. There you go. That stuff is, uh, that's a, we city slickers are standing in awe of country Americans like that. Yeah, maybe they need a bit of that um, sportsmanship or, uh, you know, uh, just good high moral fiber in the NFL now, Brian, because it's, uh, <laughs> but this is the question, right? We're talking, the scandals this year are incredible. It has to have been the worst year ever for the NFL. We're talking domestic yeah, yeah. abuse all over the place. Alleged murder in one case. Um, <laughs> settling the concussion lawsuit. Well, I was about to say admitting as part of the deal they didn't have to admit anything really, but they did pay hundreds of millions of dollars to thousands of uh, Amer- footballers from the past who have suffered brain injury because of concussion. Their, their commissioner, Roger Goodell, has fluffed every line all year. Has any of this had any impact on the, the bottom line there? incredible isn't it? I mean as you were saying that Owen, I was thinking about the fact that arguably you know the you can make an argument that Adrian Peterson might be the best player in the NFL you know and, and the guy's entire year has been taken away because of his child abuse uh, complaint I mean uh, allegations or or I should say indictment I mean this, we're talking about one of the best running backs in the, in the really in the history of the game has been sidelined because he abused his children and I mean it's just another another layer of this incredible cake of, of awfulness for the NFL. You're right with the concussions last year and the domestic abuse everywhere and the violence and the, the video of Ray Rice and on and on and on. And here we are. How many times have we said this? The answer on the surface is no. 
It is as popular as ever. The TV ratings have not dipped. One. If you're going by TV ratings, they have not been affected one bit, which is in some ways startling given the negative publicities, but in other ways, as we said earlier, given their, their sort of settling in as, the, as, the, as the, the new sort of sitcoms of the 21st century or the new network TV of the 21st century. I mean, God, in the old days, people used to watch, you know, Cheers or All in the Family and Mary Tyler Moore or talk about it or, you know, um, friends, no more. People don't watch that stuff anymore. People stream their shows. People watch their shows. Uh, they binge watch on Netflix or whatever. And nowadays, the live TV people watch is is football, and it just dovetails into the only thing that people gather around and talk about. It's the only thing people still pay attention to. I would add that I said on the surface, but I would say that in the last year, below the surface, I have heard in conversation. And it, from people in the in and of the sports world, that they themselves are finding the NFL's entire sort of tilt distasteful. And I have talked to people in and out of the sports media world who say they are not as passionate about the NFL as they once were. That they won't have their kids play football growing up. So there is there is more of that chatter below the surface. Uh, as far as when you intellectualize it and you talk about it in a in a you know in a in a discussion form in an adult discussion form, people acknowledge and express displeasure with what's happened in the NFL. However, they still tune in. I, I would be kind of one of those. I've been dismayed by what's happened, but I have a seven-year-old kid, and we put on the NFL and we watch. So the the product right now is winning out overall. But you're right, given the context of what's gone on in the last two years. It's quite amazing. And again, this might be something long-term, 20, 30 years from now we see. But right now, guess what? The playoffs are starting. We'll be watching. Yeah, absolutely, Brian. Obama himself was in January. I'm just looking back at the quotes here, uh, who said, I would not let my son play pro football. Uh, that maybe seems a long time ago now, and I don't know if it had any sort of impact on how people think about things. But uh, maybe only, again, in the long term. It's not as though... Everybody's going to say, well, the president has his concerns, so let's stop watching the NFL. I think even LeBron James said he wouldn't have his kids play football, too. So, I mean, and then uh, and I think another prominent player said they wouldn't do it at least until high school. So that's going to have to be a lag effect, you know, mm. of as far as, as it, these kids who are being told that now at age 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. They're, they're 10, 15 years away from being NFL. So, I mean, of course the NFL's still going to be there. I still see... In my little town, I see the, um, and we're not even a football hotbed like the South would be, like Georgia or Alabama or Florida or places like that where football culture is so strong. Uh, I even see in my little town dozens and dozens and dozens of kids out there in August going through their workouts. These are little kids with the helmets and the pads and everything. So it's not going away. You can make an argument, you know, like boxing or horse racing, you know, that used to rule the roost. I mean, it's still there. People still watch Manny Pacquiao and, and Khan and, and Mayweather and all those guys. So, I mean, we're going to have the NFL. The question is, will it always be as dominant as it is, as it has been from, say, say about the mid-'90s to about now? This has been about a 20-year run since it de- displaced baseball, which kind of dovetailed with the 1994 baseball strike. Yeah, Brian, we leave it on that note and um, wish you a happy Christmas and thanks so much for all your help in 2014. Uh, you guys are the best. Happy New Year. Congrats on all the uh, success, boys. And on to 2015. We'll talk to you then. Take care, Brian. See you later. Yeah, brilliant stuff from, from Brian there. Uh, quite a, quite a, quite an interesting year in American sport. All but um, especially 
I hadn't I hadn't heard that this Tom Verducci. I'd heard about him, but I hadn't actually read the story. This rattlesnake. This I was absolutely convinced that when I came up with the anecdote that he, a man, the Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year, had dated a girl with the exact same name as him. <laughs> that was without that doubt was a big the best anecdote from that story. I mean, you know, if you're reading that article and you read that anecdote, you're probably thinking, right, it's not going to get a whole lot better than Madison Baumgartner going out with a girl called Madison Baumgartner. But it Sorry, turns it's out, Baumgartner. Baumgartner. Well, yeah. They've, they've evidently Americanized it from what I guess that was probably the original uh, German. The German. Um, but apparently, everybody, everyone in the town is called this. The yes. town is called Bumtown. Yes, it was, as Brian was saying in the uh, in the 1940s or 1950s. Uh, can Cristiano Ronaldo, if he was in the same situation as Madison, Madison Bumgartner there, if he'd hacked a rattlesnake in two, yeah, and had found two baby rabbits alive inside? Would he have saved the rabbits and nurtured them back to health, or nursed them back to health? I think uh, I think that he probably would have actually. I think he's. I think he's it would got feed a lot into the, the the god complex. I think there, I'm not sure though that he would have taken the original step of chopping the rattlesnake in half. I think he might have evaded his his uh, the the you know fight or flight the flight instinct might have mm. kicked <laughs> more in of at a that job point. for oh Alvaro Arbeloa more of a Pepe, <laughs> Pepe job yeah yeah <laughs> you know, Pepe Pepe get out and jump on rattle you know Pepe's got the axe night. in his hand can do Cristiano can do uh, yeah so maybe but I'm sure that you know in the in the once he'd got to that stage he would have reacted in the same with a similar humanity at the start of the year not many people were backing Kerry to win the All Ireland football title uh, despite the 36 they already had in their possession maybe that should have been a clue that in retrospect we should probably have in a certain way but Murphy already all the retirements the Cullum Cooper injury they hammered Cork though to remind us of their talent that was maybe overlooked a bit at the time Every there was an asterisk attached to it because Cork had been so poor but it did remind us that they had the quality there and they went on to take down Donegal pipped Mayo in the semi-final took down Donegal in the final their manager Eamon Fitzmaurice I'm delighted to say joins us on the programme now Eamon thanks very much for, for chatting congratulations on the year could you take us back to All-Ireland final day because you hear players talking about this and oftentimes it, the, the day itself seems to pass them by a little bit they're very much in their own zone each of them preparing as they do then they play the match then afterwards if, you, if you're lucky enough to win you're kind of whisked away and, and, and amongst all the supporters as opposed to having too much time to actually think about anything is it different as a manager can you uh, is it hard to easy or is it hard to pick out particular moments in the day um, you probably do I suppose I've been lucky enough that I've been involved in um, both as a player and the management side of things I've been involved in a good few All-Ireland finals so I think as you go on you learn to you learn to appreciate it particularly you know when you have a time out um, I was there a couple of times as a player and then I was back as a selector with Jack in 2009 but I'd been out of the scene for a year or two and Similarly, this time, you know, I'd been out of the scene for a year or two and I came back again. So I think when you're on the, when you get a chance to be on the outside and you come back in, you definitely appreciate it. And possibly like fellas that get long-term injuries and miss the season, I think they appreciate it more. But if you're constantly inside in the bubble, you probably, it can pass you by a bit. But um, no, I enjoyed, I enjoyed this year. I enjoyed the summer and I enjoyed the All-Ireland final and I have a good um you know, I was conscious of, of making sure that I did enjoy it. Is there a standout memory of the day, or is, is that obvious? Is that just when the final whistle goes? Um, the final whistle, I suppose, yeah. But there was there was a lot of things. You know, I mean, we were we when we got together for our, our final team meeting before we got on the bus out in Dunboyne, you know, there was a great relaxed focus in the room. And um, when we went into Crow Park, I think, again, fellas were... That, that relaxed focus is there. It's a good place where fellas are, you know, where they're 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 up for the match. But at the same time, 
Um, they're in a very kind of a calm place at the same time. And then obviously the game itself, I remember the teams going around at the start and the noise that was there and the atmosphere and the whole place being covered in green and gold. It probably has never happened before that the whole stadium was green and gold because of the two counties. So that was that was impressive. And then obviously the final whistle was a great, um, great relief and great, uh, great feeling to have done the business. Yeah, and I mean, uh, just as you mentioned the final whistle there, there there's a massive sort of uh, a big roar out of you at, at, at right the very final whistle and it was kind of maybe a side to you that people hadn't seen. You know, there, there's very much a, a, reserve, a reservation on the on the sideline. Uh, you celebrate in a very sort of low-key kind of manner. And then just to see that release at the end, at the end of the final whistle, it was actually, it was a brilliant thing to see that uh, it, that, it, that, that old excitement is still very much there for you even as a manager. Ah, oh, it is. It is big time. I mean, if you can't, if you can't let off a bit of steam at the final whistle and all Ireland final, I don't know when you can. But uh, ah, yeah, sure. I mean, I suppose my style or whatever it is that I do, try and stay tuned into the game while I'm on the sideline and try to keep as calm as I can externally. If I'm feeling a bit, um, you know, if I'm feeling it a bit internally, but uh, yeah, definitely when you the final whistle blew, and I suppose the fact that we'd been under. A bit of pressure for the previous minute or minute and a half for Donegal had a chance off the post and they were up at our end of the pitch and, you know, we were kind of hanging on at the end. It was just, I just wanted, uh, it had been that kind of season mm. that it, it wouldn't have been that surprising if they got a goal and it was a draw and it went to a replay. So I was just delighted that it wrapped up then. I, uh, I read Paul Galvin's book this year, Eamon, and you obviously feature in it uh, quite a bit. Um, it seems like, well, certainly, according to Paul, you would have had that steal from quite an early age and you would have had an ability, uh, he certainly feels, to maybe uh, bring others along with you. I mean, there's a quote, well, this isn't actually from, from, from your early days, but this is after retiring from playing for Kerry. You went back and you won a county title with the club. And he says when he sets his mind to something, there's usually only one result. He gets there and he brings others with him. Is that something that, uh, that does come naturally to you, the idea, that, um, uh, the idea of leading men, of leading people? Um, yeah, I, I, it's not something I, I think about too much. Um, you know, I mean, when I when I retired in in two thousand and seven, it was mid two thousand and seven with Kerry because um, you know I just wasn't I was I was in the outside looking in really, and I wasn't in the new management's plans in terms of a starting fifteen position. And I had set myself to target that if I hadn't got in by the end of the national league, or if I hadn't looked like that I was going to get in, that I you know I'd pull the plug and I'd go. And um, when I went, then there was there was an opportunity to go to America that summer playing football if I wanted to, to go to Chicago. And while it was tempting, I I'd been made you know I'd been made captain of Field Rangers, and I you know I wanted to go back and play hurling with Snaff for a, a year fully as well because I'd never really been able to do it properly when I was at Kerry, just coming back towards the latter end of the county championship a couple of times. So I just wanted. I those two things on my radar and um, there was a very strong team with Field Rangers around that time and it was just a matter of getting it together but I mean there was a lot of other people involved in it as well you know with a great management team Jerome Stack and Johnny Mulville and Christy Killeen were very important as well pulling the whole thing together but uh, yeah I suppose the fact that I bought into it so much maybe it brought some of the other players with me but I think the lads understood as well that there was a strong team there and we had a good chance of of winning something and thankfully it worked out that way by the end of the county championship then. So that sounds like more, quite a natural sort of a, a leadership style. I mean, I'm, I'm wondering to you, um, 
like a lot of managers seem to do, do you hoover up all the uh, all the leadership books from from leaders in in your own in sport and in other fields? Um, I've I've read a lot of I I read a lot. Uh, well, I I did in the past, not so much since I've got the carry job because I just don't have the time. But um, I you know more sport books I tend to read. Really, um, I always come back to I think a very good book in terms of. You know, management and leadership and all that is Pat Riley's book, The Winner Within, and I do think that's you know that applies. It applies in the business model as well, but it applies very much to sport and teams and the team dynamic. And I think what it is is a lot of a lot of people possibly you know they do things intuitively and maybe without thinking about it too much. And then when you read those kind of books, sometimes it can formalize stuff, but. Um, I was talking to someone recently about that, and they were asking me, would there be any particular book or whatever you'd read? And I don't think there is, and I think people should, you know, have their own style and trust their own style. And maybe if you pick up a nugget here and there, absolutely, you can add it to your own your own style of leadership or your own personality. But I think it's important for people to trust their, you know, to trust their own instincts as well, not to be going down a kind of a prescribed road that's, just because it worked for one person doesn't mean it's going to work for the next person. Yeah, no, I like that idea. This idea that you could just read one particular book and that's <laughs> you're 100% going to then go and, and win whatever. Has any of the books you read or anything that you've um, you've learned about about managing a team steeled you for losing so many players to retirement and losing Cullum Cooper to injury? Everybody else, and I'm sure you didn't care about this too much, um, was writing the team off. Did you have any doubt yourself at all? Maybe when Cooper himself got injured, was there? Did you give yourself a day or two to think? Yeah. What am I going to do here? Um, I didn't really because I, wa- I was in Dublin with Cullum today. His injury was diagnosed, so I had to drive to Kerry to, to digest it. So by the time I got to Kerry, whatever, three, three and a half hours later, I was, um, you know, I, I, had, I put it in the rear view mirror at that stage. It was, I think, the one thing about Cullum's injury was that it happened early in the year and as well as that then that... Ray Moran was very definite about it that there was no, you know, there was no chance he was going to be back in 2014. Simple as that. So, um, you know, it was time. I suppose we're used to it as, as players, and then in the management side of things, that we just had to move on. It was, it was a huge blow, and I felt I was particularly disappointed for Colum himself because of having played so well in 2013 and being the captain of the team, and you know, facing into year two with centre forward and seeing how that experiment could develop further. So it was it was disappointing from that point of view. But, um, you know, we all moved on. And in fairness to Cullum, he influenced the thing hugely in the background in different ways, particularly as, as the year went on and particularly during the championship. So he made a big contribution in different ways. We watched with interest on the, the Sunday game after the final, Eamon, when you, I think the I think what you said was the carrier off the mark now for, uh, for All-Irelands again under your watch. Are you looking forward to next year already? I am, I am, yeah. Um, you know, it, it's going to be a very different season for us because, like you said a second ago there, I don't think, you know, outside of our camp, really, even within Kerry, I don't think we were given much of a chance of success this year. And we, um, you know, we, 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 we were operating under the radar for most of the games. I'd say it was probably the first time ever that Kerry, we played six games, and I'd say four of the games we were outsiders. So, um it was, you know, it was a refreshing position to be in. In a way, we were just throwing away, doing our own thing, and um, it worked out fine for us. But obviously, next year now, there, I don't think there will be 
we won't be able to get away with being under the radar. It'll be a different challenge, but uh, no, it's an exciting time to be involved in Kerry football because the Miners won as well, and you know Tommy Welch is back from Australia, and Tom will be back from his injury, and um, the, there's you know it's it's an exciting time to be involved, and it'll be challenging trying to. Um, get the best out of the lads again next year but um, hopefully hopefully we can Absolutely well Eamon happy Christmas to you thanks very much for talking and best of luck next year as well Thanks on Thanks Modern day coaching what is it all about paralysis by analysis infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers fellas with earpieces stuck in their ears psychologists Clyde Woodward statisticians dietitians and as Mick O'Connell alluded to God save us Yeah I think Eamon uh, speaking there uh, He's. It's funny. He's. He's very a very level kind of guy, as we can hear, and that's certainly the way he presents. That's a persona he, ha- he has on the sideline. But there is that confidence there. I mean, he, he doesn't mind. He didn't mind saying uh, it was a nice little line that we referenced there in the Sunday game that night uh, of them being off the mark. Yeah. And he's not backing away from it now. He, if you're managing Kerry, you have to accept that people think you're going to win in All Ireland, or you should be trying to. Yeah. Winning all Ireland. <clears throat> when I when I heard that on the Sunday game, actually, I did one hundred percent think that that didn't just pop into his head. That wasn't a phrase that popped into his head. Uh, I think that 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 was very as much at his own players as maybe at the the public that were watching at home. That it's you know you are a Kerry footballer, so I mean you win this brilliant Ireland, you get this amazing reaction. Uh, the public love you. Uh, you've pulled it out of the bag. This is an amazing thing, but I mean you've got to that level, that's the level you have to hit now next year. It's not like it's not like Donegal winning the All-Ireland uh, for only the second time in their history. That they, are, they are allowed to drop off their standards. They're not going to be any less legends in their in their county if they drop that 1%. Whereas with Kerry, I think that is it. And, you know, you you mentioned the fact that they've won 36 All-Ireland, 37 All-Ireland now. With that comes that sort of pressure. So I, I think that was a pointed reference by him. It's not just a medal this year, though. Ken, have you seen this? The added accoutrement to the to the victory that these Kerry boys have got? Yeah, I saw it. And the Super Bowl-style All-Ireland rink, mm. which is not a bad idea. Um, I saw Kieran Donaghy's one. Not surprising, Kieran Donaghy's American sports mad. Kieran Donaghy is particularly happy <laughs> with his... Is it not a bit Super chunky, Bowl. though? I mean, my opinion would be that's a bit chunky, especially if you're a Kerry football player. You got to think to yourself, this is too big. Well, you know, the Super Bowl winners don't actually wear them. You know, wear them every day as a matter of course. You know, I mean, it's it's they do kind of bring it out for special special occasions. Maybe what they're thinking is that it's slightly less gaudy than wearing them on a gold chain Milo Corcoran style. Yeah, that you know, you want to get a little. You want some people to see what you've won. But I mean, you can't really carry around, a, you know, like a piece of wood with all of your medals <laughs> nailed onto it or the gold chain option. I mean, like, how else are you going to actually display your medals if it doesn't? You know, Henry Shefflin would have one on every finger and each thumb as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, he'd like barely, he'd barely, he'd barely like be able to bend George, his fingers yeah. with, with rings of this size is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, you well, I mean, the... he, he just he actually just wouldn't be able to use his hands. You know what I think? If the GAA would do, if they had any decency at all above in, in HQ, yeah, they would mint a ring for every single All Ireland winner uh, in history. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at least the ones who would still be able to wear the ring, they should all get one. And oh, thereby bankrupting the, in, the in sterling silver. Yeah, that's yeah. what you know. That's these men. And you see these Yanks coming over, and they get tickets as easy as that. And all yeah. these All Ireland winners can not. A, all Ireland ticket to be found no, on Sports Sunday sure, in September. And sure, isn't it the history? Didn't it, didn't they build the history? Is Aren't they not, only after building the history? Is that not what the GAA? Yeah, I should. 
I, I'm, I sometimes uh, struggle with my tenses when I'm trying to impersonate it, an Irish it, person. <laughs> isn't it them that are only after building the history that's of the, the country? I think that's, that's the correct convoluted. But you, you do remember the, the probably the best story involving a Super Bowl ring ever. Uh, was that the one where Vladimir Putin stole the one from Bob Kraft? You, you use the word stole, Ken. He just took it and put it in his pocket Robert Kraft, and walked away. Robert Kraft, the owner of the New England Patriots, had a high-powered meeting with Vladimir Putin and his, his pals. Uh, he brought along the ring. Showed them one of his one of his Super Bowl rings. Putin said, "That's very nice." It was, well, I think it was one of those things where Kraft. Then I'm sure if you hand somebody your Super Bowl ring, you're aware of where it is at all times. You should be. Hmm. I think he his uh, attention was diverted elsewhere. Then he looks back, and Putin is there. He doesn't have it anymore. It's not offered back to him. I don't know if he asked Putin. Sorry, mate, my, there's a ring, but it certainly seemed to disappear out of the room. Well, Putin just assumed it was a gift. You know, he's getting gifts every, everywhere he goes. People are offering, making little offerings to him. Uh, so he just, oh, here's this guy. I wonder who he is. What's this? Oh, I don't even like this. Robert Kraft needs to man up in that situation, doesn't he? Well, he, he, I mean, he said, know, excuse me, Mr. Putin, can I please have my Super Bowl ring back? Yeah. Nah, it's too embarrassing. Too, embar- too embarrassing at that stage. You've been, you've been pretty embarrassing like story to be told right now. Kieran Donny would do. Kieran Donny's not going to let Vladimir Putin have his All Ireland winning ring from 2014. Let's go and win another one. Well, that's just, but he's captain next year, so uh, or should be captain next year. Well, listen, we'll leave it at that. I, I'm rambling at this point, Murph. It is Christmas. There is a bit of that going on at the moment. And uh, listen, we we'll let everyone get back to their families, get back to those walks, and to those yeah. Well, we did slate your family earlier on, but I well, no, we slate we a generic Christmas Irish Christmas family. Yeah, There's nobody. Yeah. Um, They're probably no not too bad. Back you go. Thanks, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks, Thank Ken. You, Ken. We'll be back Thank again you, on Monday. We'll have a chat about all the Christmas footy at that stage and anything else big that's going on. In the meantime, take care. Cheers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.